Welcome to the Ask a Cycling Coach podcast presented by Trainer Road. Today, we're going to talk all about nutrition. Uh, we have uh, we have Alex Larson with us from Alex Larson Nutrition. Stoked to have you, Alex. Yeah, thanks for uh, having me. Of course, you're getting close to due date. It's exciting times. Yes. Baby's coming soon. Very so, soon. Thanks <laughs> no for, home stretch. Thanks for, yeah, thanks for getting this in on the final week. Um, a couple follow-ups really quick from last week's podcast. A lot of you love that podcast. It's fantastic. The one that we did with Derek Teal about strength training. Um, so I just wanted to cover a lot of people sent in requests. Like I need to see the exercises, go to YouTube, uh, go to the podcast episode, find it on YouTube and you'll see videos. Um, I asked Derek after it, I was like, can you record every one of those exercises that you mentioned? So he did it and I put them up there. So if you go and watch YouTube, you'll be able to see it. You can see all of our podcasts on there and other content. I recommend you do that. Also, um, some other people were like, he's just promoting his programs. He actually gave workout recommendations. You don't need his programs. Like he gave workout recommendations specifically without a bunch of equipment, without that sort of stuff, uh, for each athlete. So pretty cool. Um, so check that stuff out. Don't even need equipment to get done. Yeah, uh, Derek minor equipment at least. Yeah. He's a great guy. <laughs> Knows what he's doing. So, uh, hope you enjoyed that episode. And then also tons of questions this week, uh, for some reason about which plan to pick. I mean, I guess it makes sense. This is typically when a lot of us are kind of ruminating over what happens next year and we're building up these grand dreams. So, so many of the questions that you send in when you're like, should I do this training plan and then do this training plan and do that? Just use plan builder. Plan builder automates all that for you. So you just put in the date and you put in what type of event, and then you can put in any other events that you have. You can even put in time off and it'll build a plan for you. And then adaptive training will adapt that plan constantly based on how you're doing. So plan builder is the answer. If you're wondering which plan should you pick, that's the one to go for. Uh, with that, Alex podcast done. We've answered like 10,000 questions just with those <laughs> right there. So just joking. Um, Spencer says, uh, this one carb loading, simple and complex carbs and feel free to skip this, uh, this skip to the question, but I have to say, and I am going to read this. Spencer says, thank you for the app and podcast I raced a little in college. And now I'm a teacher. So I have very little free time. The combination of outdoor workouts and a power meter has really helped me see just how much I'm lying to myself about efforts and pacing. Hey, it's okay. Spencer, it's not that you're lying to yourself. It's just like, it takes time. To, it's really hard to figure that out. So uh, the info from podcasts is always invaluable as well. Thank you guys. So my question is about carb loading. I'm doing gravel worlds quote the real one, uh, in Lincoln in a week. And yes, uh, then after this, um, Spencer says, by the time you answer this, it will probably be too late. And indeed it is, it already passed, but the, that's just how it goes, but that's okay. I think it's an interesting question. As Spencer says, I'm under the assumption that several days out from a race, you want to eat more complex carbs. And as the race approaches eat simpler ones. Is that an accurate understanding of how glycogen stores work? Complex carbs are harder to break down. Simpler ones are easier to break down. And if so, can you give examples of what foods would be good to add to meals three days, two days, and a day out, for example? And if not, can you explain where my thinking about glycogen stores went wrong? Y'all are the best. Uh, thank you. Alex, what are your thoughts on this? Because this is like, uh, there's probably more than just one mode of like more than just carb loading, I assume, to this, but... Um, is this the practice that you recommend for athletes or what do you Yeah. Think? So, I mean, with complex carbs, um, definitely, you know, the simpler carbs will load your glycogen stores a little bit more efficiently. But that being said, if you're doing like a two, three day carb load and you're just doing simple carbs straight up for that long, like that's, that's just a lot. So I find that it's better to kind of blend both complex carbs and simpler ones together, regardless of, you know, 
where you are where you are in your carb load. Um, but you definitely want to choose the lower fiber complex carbs, like your white rice versus brown rice or you know your whole grain, um, higher fiber grains, like white breads, bagels, pita bread, crackers. Um, if you're going to do potatoes, you know, try and like take the skin off or don't eat like the skin on your baked potato. Um, pancakes, waffles, English muffins, like the list can go on there with like a lot of those complex carbs, but choose the lower fiber ones because, um, I think I've mentioned this before, but fiber just creates, uh, bulk with your stools. And so you just have a less chance of needing to have, um, a number two bathroom break during your race would be, you know, helpful as well. And so, um, yeah, like simpler carbs are really great. Um, and I find sometimes, especially when you're struggling to hit those carb numbers, um, and also kind of help reduce that feeling of being overly full, like juice or fruit juice smoothies, or some of those simpler carbs can kind of help you reach those numbers without like feeling like you're going to explode because you've eaten so much food. That's, my thought <laughs> That's a really that. good tip on the, on the fruit and juice and that sort of stuff. I guess fruit tends to bring in a lot of fiber too, depending on the fruit, but yeah. just the juice itself can, is a good way to get those carbs without a lot of the fiber. Yeah. It's been like here in the U S I, I find that I can find these anywhere in across the country, but like those, um, naked juice smoothies that you can find just like mm-hmm. at gas stations and everywhere. Those ones are like 55 grams of carb per container. So just a nice little way to fill in some of those carb numbers between meals. Um, mm. like I said, not feeling overly full, but you definitely want to practice the carb load, carb loading during your training, just so that you know which foods are going to work best for you because everyone's a little bit different. Um, one tip that we tend to have our athletes do is use a food journal and pre-enter your carb loading plan so that you can go into your day knowing how to execute that carb load and you feel confident that you're getting enough in. And so again, just like practicing that um, in advance, then you can go into your actual carb load for the race feeling pretty good about what you need to do to get it done. Um, That's a good approach because sometimes it's hard to like, if you get into the carb loading mindset, you sit down and you're just like, well, I should have another plate and another plate and yeah. another plate. And you're, you kind of just like, then you end up feeling terrible. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. But, it's not, know. I mean, I think when people envision carb loading, they think of it as like a free for all with food or just like pigging out. And, uh, the most common mistakes that I tend to see is athletes are choosing just higher fat foods or they're having like a garden salad with a lot of dressing on it. And it ends up replacing the carbs that they're actually needing in the day, um, and they're not able to kind of hit those numbers. So it really is all about just high carb value, low in protein, lower in fat to to get all of those glycogen stores like super loaded up so that you can go the distance and have that endurance uh, during your race. I mean, carb loading is not going to make you necessarily faster, but it's just going to help you maintain pace for longer without fatiguing. Yeah. I've heard extreme examples and I think that they are referenced upon a study that showed that perhaps subjects doing a four day carb load had greater glycogen storage than others. I I don't know exactly if that's based off of a study. I feel like I've heard it referenced before, but I'm not entirely sure. I've heard of this four day carb load thing, but that's like, 
That's really that's pretty darn lot. extreme. <laughs> um, I've like for really big events, whether it's a big day or a stage race or anything else, like two days before is when I'll start to change out what I'm eating. And it's less that I'm eating a ton more. It's just that I change out. Like you said, it's like a change in the composition of the plate. It's like less fibrous things, less greens, um, even less protein. And instead, like I'm going to have a greater portion if you were to like balance it out, so to speak, it's the same quantity of food. It's just more of that is coming from carbohydrates. And then as I get like the day before the race and then the all days through the race, if it's a stage race, I'm eating pretty boring food. Uh, you know, it's not like a lot of color and variety. Like I like when I'm outside of racing, uh, but that's when I'm, you know, really focused on keeping things as simple as possible. Um, in terms of like right before the training or before the race, after the race, I might have something that's a bit more complex. And then that allows me to have, you know, some longer lasting energy instead of just like eating lucky charms the whole time, um, <laughs> makes it a little bit easier. Uh, but that's like uh, doing three days before seems pretty, I don't know if you're doing something like unbound or you're doing like an Ironman or something really big, I can yeah. understand getting a head start on it. Um, you know, but I wouldn't say that, you know, if you're doing a, a standard road race or a mountain bike race, or even like an Olympic try or something like that, or even like a 70.3, you probably don't need to do three days before. I don't know, Alex. Yeah. I mean, it depends have, like, on how long, there? it depends on how long you're going to be out there racing, right? Like, um, you know, a couple hour race, you could do like a one day carb load, but if you're like a full Ironman, even, you know, I guess a half Ironman, um, depending on how fast you are, you know, two, three days. And also consider, you know, some athletes just really struggle to get enough carbs. I mean, not everyone is like, you know, Nate at Trader Road where he can do 700 grams yeah. of carb in a day. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you're not able to hit those numbers really easily in practice, then you might want to just extend it out a little longer just to make sure that, you're getting enough carbs in before your race. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point too. Like, um, because it's also hard, like you, again, you don't want to just increase the amount of food that you're eating. And, yeah. and that really makes you, if you go into a race feeling bloated, uncomfortable, it's a huge shift. Also, like, like you mentioned to practice carb loading in your training, I think that's a really good idea because if you've never had this sort of palate before with your nutrition, your body's going to kind of go like, okay, what do I do with this? And it's probably going to upset things a little bit. Yeah. Your, instead, your gut, like, your, your gut is kind of like, what is going on? You know, this is not mm -hmm. my usual thing. So it's good. It, like I said, it's good to just practice it and figure out what foods are going to sit the best, um, with you. And, 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 and again, like carb loading is not for some people that they like rocket, it's really easy, but for others, it can be a little more challenging to, to really hit those numbers. So it's good to practice. So it's just one less thing you have to worry about on race week. Cause there's already so much going on in your brain, um, you know, and, you know, anxiousness and nerves. And so if you already know how to execute the nutrition part, it's, it's pretty nice. Plus, um, you know, with carb loading, you are, it's not necessarily that you're going to feel like bloated, but you might just feel like a little more puffy, which is normal because, 
Um, with that glycogen load, you're also going to be storing a lot of water with that, which is great for hydration levels. Um, but also considering um, using some sort of uh, electrolyte carb-based beverage, I would say the day before, can be really helpful too, just to give yourself a little bit of preload of some sodium um, and making sure you're going in with really good hydration levels. A really practical way that I can maybe illustrate for those that are in the United States here uh, with Chipotle, <laughs> like if I'm to order a normal bowl from Chipotle, I'll get you know brown rice, black beans, whatever sort of meat, veggies, some lettuce, and like you know the different salsas that they have on there, um, and some guacamole, and then that'll be like my bowl, right? Mm-hmm. If I'm coming into a race and I'm carb loading, I'm not going to ask for the lettuce, I'm not going to ask for the guac, and I'm not going to ask for the veggies. And instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask for more rice than normal to make up for a little bit of that. I'm going to keep the beans about the same, and my, I might be able to add more if I want. And then I'm just going to have the protein as is. And then I'll still add like salsa and stuff like that onto it for flavor. But I'm getting rid of like the 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 guacamole. I probably don't need all the fat that comes from the avocados at that time. I'm going to get rid of the lettuces. That's just going to slow digestion. Isn't giving me carbs. I'm going to get rid of those veggies that I put on there, like the fajita veggies as well. So if you yeah. want to think about it practically, I, I might, I might that. even challenge that I'd, I would go lighter on the beans just because sometimes beans for people can be a little gas producing if you're not someone that has beans on a regular basis too. So just keep that in mind as well. Yeah. Great. Um, point. great rich in carbs, but it is higher in fiber as well. So um, if you yeah. tend to feel a little bit more bloated or gassy after having some beans, then maybe I would like go lighter on that as well. There you go. And then I one thing I didn't mention is I switched from brown rice to white rice, yes. you know, um, to keep it more simple there. So mm-hmm. there you go. Just go to Chipotle. <laughs> it's not sponsored by them. Um, it makes it easy. Uh, Nell says, Hey, Trainer Road Crew, after spending a day of the 2023 Cape Epic in an ICU due to hyponutremia, I got serious about planning my sodium intake during riding and racing. I did a sweat test and found my sodium loss is about 850 to 930 milligrams per hour. I started taking sodium capsules during races to supplement, and I'm, but I'm wondering about the more routine rides and workouts. The recommendation from the sweat testing company I use, which is called Levelin, was to replace 100% of sodium losses during the ride. But is there a reason for the need to replace during the ride instead of before or after? Fortunately, the precision hydration sodium capsules are affordable, but it's still just another thing to have to plan and remember. Any reason I can't just eat pickles afterwards instead. To provide more context, my hyponutremia at Cape Epic was most likely due to trying to race with a bad GI illness. But I did find out I was taking in about four grams, I think you mean milligrams, because or maybe or I guess 400 milligrams of sodium on stages that took me over seven hours, considering that this athlete was tested at losing 850 to 930 milligrams and they were only taking, and that's per hour and they were only taking Did he take in four grams over the entire seven hours? I think that's what he means. Only, so only 400 milligrams for the entire seven hours. So that's a huge deficit, right? What they're dealing with there. Gigantic deficit. So I wasn't taking in enough sodium, even if I had a functioning GI system. For reference, I would definitely supplement during a t- during a time of multiple days of long rides like a training camp, but what about just a four-hour endurance ride with shorter interval workout the next day? Thanks for everything you do. So there's kind of a lot to break down here. Alex, the athlete, went and got their sweat rate tested, which is great in terms of how much sodium they lose per hour. 
But the question about, is there any reason that they should aim to replenish all sodium stores during the ride instead of just taking in more sodium before and or after? What do you say to that? I think all of the above. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I mean, there's research that has um, shown there's one study that I can think of that they were finding benefits to um, doing some sort of preload with sodium before your training um, because it just helped with like uh, fluid retention and keeping, you know, those hydration levels um, more consistent with going into that workout. Um, granted, it was a small study. I think it was only like 10 male athletes. But I mean, still, we have found with especially a lot of our athletes this summer in this heat and humidity, when we're doing quite a bit of preloading, they tend to just perform and feel way better throughout their workout. That being said, even if you're doing a preload, I still would be replenishing things during because if you're drinking just plain water, it's almost like just triggering the body to increase urine output versus if you're including some electrolytes with your fluids, that's really going to help with rehydration during the workout. Um, Mm. And knowing that he's already kind of prone to hyponatremia, which is a pretty serious condition. It's not something Mm -hmm. that we want to mess with. Um, And knowing what his sodium losses are on average, I would say try and get pretty close to that on a hourly basis, even if it's just a four-hour endurance ride, because that, I mean, is almost a gram an hour for four hours. I mean, that's a significant loss if you're not replenishing that even close to 100% in my mind. Yeah, I'm thinking of this just in terms of like uh, familiar products for people maybe. So then you can think of yeah. like how much you would need to replace if it's 800 and, you know, 800 to almost a thousand, uh, milligrams of sodium that you have to take in. And I'm looking right now at like scratch. And like, if you're just looking at a scoop of scratch, mm-hmm. that's 22 grams of product overall, that's 380 milligrams of sodium. So you'd have to be taking in two and a half to three scoops per hour. And if you think about it in terms of precision hydration, they have those 1500 milligram Mm -hmm. things. That's, that's taking in, you know, you're already taking in more than one of those tablets because you actually have to use two of those tablets to get to 1500. And that would be extremely like salty for an hour. So that kind of puts it into perspective for people. It's a lot of sodium that you have to take. So it's just really hard to kind of like carbs. Like it's, it's impossible to, if you're riding above 100 and I think it's 16 Watts for an hour, it's, you're not going to finish. If you're drinking 80, 90 grams an hour of carbs, you're not going to finish with too many carbs. It's impossible. So most people, most athletes are probably going to ride with power greater than that over the course of an hour. So this is another situation with sodium too, where I like that answer of before, during, and after. Why not all three? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Like have pickles afterwards, even if you you know took in quite a bit of sodium during. Um, you know, I I feel like with like liquid IV, I think is around five hundred milligrams per serving. LMNT or element is a thousand. Um, and so I've seen some athletes that will actually like just add that also to their scratch or their tailwind or whatever they're using just to up the sodium in that, um, kind of mixing and matching products and keep in mind too, now that I have the highest that we've seen with, um, a level in tests this summer with one of our cyclists was 3,500 milligrams an hour. Um, oh my goodness gracious. Yeah. So, I mean, I would say 
you know, when he said 850 to 930 milligrams an hour, I was like, yeah, that's not too bad because we've seen way higher than that. And that is really, really challenging in those situations. So, I mean, I've, I think the range is anywhere from 250 milligrams up to a thousand is typically average for an athlete for, for sodium losses. And also, and I don't know, you know, what type of situation he was in when he did that sweat test, but, um, if it's going to be unusually hot unusually humid or if you're at elevation i would honestly expect electrolyte losses to be even higher than what you maybe yeah, did in certainly your sweat test. losses yes right yeah so that's something to consider as well when you're kind of planning out your training or looking at your races is figuring out okay how do i need to adjust here to make sure that i get through um being safe being healthy and feeling really good yeah this is, uh, I think, kind of a, this, so salt stains are naturally, somebody's going to come up with this question as a result with salt stains. And the one thing I found is that if I take in more sodium, like if I'm sodium loading beforehand, because I don't have a really high sodium loss rate, I think that I was closer to around 700 uh, when I got tested. And I try to take in somewhere around 800 milligrams when I am racing uh, per hour. I do that through the precision hydration capsules and then mixing my own drink mix. I have 450 milligrams of sodium in each bottle. And then and I should say in each 500 milliliters that um, five to seven fifty that I'm drinking. And then on top of that, I take the precision hydration capsules to get around 850. Uh, I've found that I don't have a whole lot of issues with the like, sodium issues there. But if I am taking in, if I've sodium loaded and I am taking in extra for what it's worth, I have seen more sweat stains or salt stains all over my kits. But that doesn't necessarily mean your salt stains don't tell you a whole lot other than you are losing sodium, but it's not as if it's a bad or good thing to have salt stains. Uh, correct, Alex? Yeah, I've kind of heard that from people too. They're like, well, if I consume more sodium or if I preload with a lot of sodium, I notice I have more sweat stains. And that does make sense. But at the same time, like, I I mean, if we have athletes that are experiencing like chronic cramping issues or they're just really struggling and not feeling well, you know, towards the end of their workout, maybe having headaches afterwards and some kind of like cognitive, like lightheadedness or... um just feeling a little like brain fog. That's usually where we're like, okay, I think it's time that we, you know, we've, we, when we know hydration's on point, like they're getting enough, when we know that they're getting enough carbs, like, okay, we really need to look at electrolytes. And that's what happened with our athlete that had 3,500 milligrams an hour loss is that he just, even though he was fueling really well, we, there's still just something missing. So we had him do that um, level and test and, we're like, oh, this would explain it. So, um, you know, there's all these kind of pieces to the puzzle here. And I know like with Nell, he mentioned, you know, it was another thing for him to plan and remember. It's so important. It just needs to become kind of a normal standard part of how you're fueling your training. And over time, it does get easier. I think anytime you add something new, it feels like, oh, another thing to plan and remember. But the more you practice it and apply it, the easier it gets. So just keep that in mind. Like if you have a little bit of resistance in your mind about it, still do it because it's so important that hyponatremia is not fun and it really can like make or break your race. I want to perform a very informal study here. Uh, it is not a study. It's just a poll. 
everybody that's watching this or listening to this, go to YouTube and go to the video for it. If you're not already here and go into the comments and say, if you have had your sweat rate tested, let us know what that is. Yeah. And then let us know if you regularly experience cramps. And also if you haven't had your sweat rate tested, at least tell us how much sweat or how much sodium you take in per hour. And then let us know if you regularly experience cramps. And I'm curious to see if we can get enough people into that. You can also jump onto the forum and maybe we can start a thread on there for this too. But it'd be great to just see like what people are taking in and how it's changed. Um, because I think I mentioned this before on the podcast, but like uh, Levi Leipheimer was mentioning the fact that he had never seen a Tour de France winner without sweat stains or salt stains on, or with salt stains on their kit. They never had them. And we were talking about the fact that I was like, yeah, people hardly took in electrolytes back then compared to these days. You know, like we understand so much more. So everyone's taking in more. And as a result, we're there. Maybe the people that were successful were just people that lost very little sodium, you know, like, and that was kind of like natural selection, pushing them to the top. It'd be really interesting to see if that was the case. But um, I, don't know. I feel yeah. like those elite cyclists. They're just superhuman. Like they're just, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you, and that's the two, like the thing too, like when you read these polls, like don't compare yourself to what other athletes are doing. You really have to think of yourself as your own individual and figure out what's going to be best for you. Like, yeah, it's interesting for us to hear what other people are doing, but ultimately please, please, please think of yourself as a singular person in how you need to fuel yourself best for your training, your races. Well said. Yeah. Just because somebody takes in 3,500 milligrams per hour does not mean that you need to. And just because somebody takes in 200 milligrams an hour doesn't mean that that's what you need. Exactly. Yeah. Well said. Uh, all right. We're just going right through these. Let's go into Curtis's question. He says, thanks for the weekly informative podcast content. I rated the podcast five stars on Spotify and iTunes, and I've subscribed to your YouTube channel where I consume the podcast now. Thank you, Curtis. If you're listening right now, Give the video a thumbs up if you're on YouTube. Uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already, whether you're watching this or not. Don't miss out. We're getting closer to 100,000 subscribers. We need to do that to go up. Uh, we have more listens than that to the podcast every week. So if all of you did that, it'd be amazing. <laughs> so go and do that. Uh, and then on top of that, you can rate the podcast and Spotify. That will make it so that every week if somebody searches cycling podcast, they will find ours sooner. Um, and that's huge. And that's how we grow as a company. So we appreciate it. Uh, Curtis says, my question is about the basic macro ratios that are commonly recommended. I've heard everything from the common 40, 30, 30 of carbs to protein to fat for general health, all the way up to 70, 20, 10 for high performing endurance athletes. But that is a massive range. And I simply don't know how somebody could actually hit 10% fat ratio sustainably for the long term. Last month I shot for this 70, 20 to 10 ratio. And remember that's 70 grams of, or 70 is the percentage of carbs. 20 is the percentage of protein and 10 is the percentage of fat. Um, and I found myself eating the most plain food ever, mostly white rice, broccoli, and grilled chicken, grilled chicken with zero oil or butter. But that was the only way I could hit that 10% fat goal. So my question is, how is this possible? What foods do I not know about to make this easier? And reconsidering the whole thing, is the 70-20-10 ratio what endurance athletes should be striving for? What do you think, Alex? <laughs> yeah, so when I see that 70-20-10 ratio, I'm like, that's more along the lines of like a carb loading guideline in my mind. Like 70-80% of your calories are coming from uh, carbohydrates. So it's not something that we would typically have our endurance athletes doing uh, just throughout their training, even if they're on a pretty high volume 
training plan. Um, and typically, you know, just from a dietitian perspective, we don't usually calculate nutrition needs based off of macro ratios. Um, we tend to calculate needs based off of like body weight. Um, and then we will adjust that based off of like training volume and goals. Um, so definitely don't, uh, we don't ever really do the 40, 30, 30 for endurance athletes. It's just not enough carbs um, and usually a little bit too much protein in my mind. Like, and like I said, the 70, 20, 10. So somewhere in the middle is probably where you're looking at needing to be typically. Uh, but like I said, we, we kind of go by, you know, case by case basis with each of our athletes. Um, but usually it kind of works out to more of like a 50, 55, 60% somewhere in the carb range, depending on your training volume. And then um, protein's probably more in that like 25 range, give or take a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. But like I said, we kind of calculate based off of body weight as well. And your goals, you know, if you're someone that's in your off season and you're looking to, you know, put on more muscle or lean out a little bit more. We might up the protein a little bit more and we might decrease the carbs just because you're not training as high volume with your cardio uh, versus if you're in a higher volume, you know, peak training for, you know, a stage race, then you're going to have higher carbs at that point. And um, we might be only looking at some leaner protein options and trying to get, because we do tend to see when our athletes come into our program, their fat intake can be too high and they're just not getting enough protein and carbs. So in that case, we might be looking at like meal and snack composition, looking at what options will help cut back on some of that higher fat, fat content. So like baked goods, fried foods, those higher cuts of meat. Um, and don't, please don't hate me for this, but even like peanut butter. Um, I know like peanut butter is the best, but it's more along the portion size where we're seeing athletes eat epic amounts of peanut butter and it's just yeah. putting their fat content way overboard. And um, so just being a little more strategic with the peanut butter. Um, same thing with nuts. If we have like plant-based athletes who are just consuming a large quantity of nuts, nut butters, and seeds, um, we might look at diversifying some of that a little bit more to choose some leaner options. If there's heavy use of oils, um, and avocados, you know, super, super nutritious. They're so amazing. I love avocados, but just cutting back on the portion size because um, they are a pretty high fat content. Um, so maybe instead of a whole avocado for your avocado toast in the morning, you know, maybe just do a half um, because the thing, like, it adds up really quickly throughout the day. So you might just need to be a little bit more selective to keep that fat intake uh, in check. I've always like, uh, it's always struck me when people are like, yeah, healthy fats, good. Put more healthy fats on. And yeah. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. But like at the same time, if you look at how much fat you're taking in already, uh, there's not a whole lot of room for extra fat in the diet. If you want to maintain some sort of like a, a well, you know, a, a balance that's going to give you energy and allow you to be able to recover and do all that other stuff. It just takes up so much. Um, yeah. You mentioned peanut butter and I've like switched over to PB2. It's a, oh, I don't yeah, know if nice. it's a product outside of the US. Um, and it's so like, for example, uh, if you have like something like two tablespoons of peanut butter, uh, and that's like measured tablespoons, that's not a big spoon where you don't scrape the top, <laughs> <laughs> which is the temptation, like you said, with peanut butter, because it's delicious. Yeah. Um, but uh, so two tablespoons of that in just normal peanut butter is probably going to contain somewhere around 16 grams of fat, 
Well, with PB2, if you do that, it's 1.5 grams of fat. You don't get the same flavor. It's close to the same flavor. Um, you don't get the same consistency if you're putting it into a milkshake. You know, peanut butter is going to make it a lot more kind of creamy. And this is not going to add a whole lot of creaminess at all to it. But I've gotten used to it. And I like it. And the reason that, so I measure my food in terms of calories that I'm taking in and macros. And I typically do that like once every three months or so. And I just do it for like a week. Um, sometimes I go longer, sometimes I go less. I just feel like when I'm getting detached with what I'm eating, I'm kind of like, oh, I want to make sure that I'm checking in and understanding what I'm eating. And that's when I do it. Um, when I've done that, I've always found that I'm not scraping the top so much of that peanut butter. And then as a result, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm getting like 35% of fat just in my milkshake that I have, or not milkshake, but my smoothie in the morning. And it's just from the peanut butter. It just adds up really fast. And then suddenly I'm like, okay, so that means for dinner, I need to just have steamed broccoli, <laughs> it's like, you know? And like, and so you run into these weird traffic jams with your food. If you are trying to measure things and are trying to look at that. Uh, with those fatty foods in particular and like super sneaky ones, like a lot of energy bars and a lot of stuff like that. They also like protein bars. They bring in a ton of fat too. Um, sometimes there'll be like zero fat ones and that, that can be helpful if you're trying to do that. But man, it just sneaks in, in a lot of different places and fat isn't bad. Fat's good. I was good. just going to say it's that. Like, it's really important to make sure that we're still including fat in here. I don't want people to be like, Oh, they're telling me to be like low fat as possible. No, that's not, that's not what we're saying. I think it, it's just about balance. So keep in mind that for a gram of carb and gram of protein, there's four calories with fat. It's nine. It's over twice as much. So, um, when you're going overboard on fat intake, that's where we tend to see like calories go higher, which is great for when we have like, like some elite athletes need to be in, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of calories. Like they're going to need some of that fat intake just to get in enough energy to um, sustain themselves. But for, you know, the typical, you know, age group athlete, like it just can be, it just adds up really quickly with the fat intake. So we just need to be a little more thoughtful in how we plan out meals and snacks throughout the day so that we don't go overboard and we can still get in plenty of protein, plenty of carbs and have that good balance. Yeah. And that approach of doing healthy fats, like, and prioritizing those is really good for that because then if you're prioritizing those and paying attention to what you're taking in and all it takes is just like a little bit of attention for a little bit and then it helps calibrate you. You don't have to measure this stuff all the time, mm -hmm. you know, but when you prioritize those then it makes it a lot easier to understand like, oh yeah, cool. Like this is where I'm getting in everything and it's coming from good sources and you know, so yeah. Uh, for macros too, Alex, I've, for me, typically what I'm finding is that I'm closer to like 70 for carbs, uh, when I'm training, uh, 60, like you mentioned 60 or like 55 to 65, somewhere around there. And I'm just North of that typically is where I feel like I have good energy, um, with the amount of carbohydrates I'm taking in. And then in addition to that in fat, I've found that like around 15%, uh, 15 to 20% is like where I feel quote satiated. And if I drop below that, I don't feel as satiated with my meals and it's tricky. So Typically, you know, you'll add in more protein to make up for where you're taking away from that fat on the macro side of things. And that helps us with, you know, satiating my, uh, my appetite and making mm -hmm. sure that I don't feel like I'm starving all the time, but it's a tricky balance. And I don't pay attention to like, I'll pay attention to macros just in the sense of like for a very short period of time to see if I'm, and it's mostly just fat because I'm probably letting it sneak in everywhere because fat's delicious. <laughs> um, I'm probably letting it sneak in everywhere. So that just helps with that. But then after that, I'm not really paying attention to the macros as much, at least for me. And instead, I'm just trying to make sure I fuel my work, 
before, during, and after. Um, and then eating as much fun variety as I can outside of it. Um, that's personally what works for me. There's another question on this too. Um, it says, I love the podcast. I've learned so much for you guys and girls over the last two years. For context, I'm a male in my early 20s and my main focus is on marathon mountain bike races of three to five hours with the occasional long race of five hours order or short uh, or shorter sub three hour races. I have a question regarding calories and tracking calories. If you ask a gym bro, they will tell you it is common practice to track your daily calories every day and weigh out their food. But I was wondering whether it is necessary to track calories with cycling and mountain biking. If it can be beneficial, how do you implement that? I mean, do you track the carbs you consume while training as part of your daily intake, or do you leave that out? I feel like that will offset your daily recommendation for carbs a lot. According to an online calculator, my daily recommended carb intake should be about 320 grams. I understand the concept of calories in versus calories out, but I'm confused as my pre-ride meal of 80 grams, post-ride shake of about 50 grams, and carb mix in my bottles of about 85 to 95 grams per hour will put me over my daily limit, and that's not even the rest of the day's food. I'm quite skinny, but not lean. And I want to get a little bit leaner, but remain the same weight or even add a kilo or two to my body weight to try to get my power up. Um, they then mentioned that their watt KG, watt KG, they want to improve it where they're at. And they say, I feel like if I can keep my watt KG the same, but increase power by increasing my body weight, I'll be faster on the flats without losing speed on the climbs. Yes. I know gaining weight doesn't uh, automatically improve raw power, but I'm struggling to see FTP improvements at my current weight and holding even 210 Watts for three hours or more during a race feels out of reach. So follow-up question. Am I, I'm, or I'm really trying hard to get into, oh, and actually let's leave that follow-up one at the end. Yeah. And then let's just go into the first part. Um, so this question of, do I need to include all the carbs that I take in during exercise into my daily intake? If I'm counting calories and doing all of that. There's a couple different ways you can do this, but first of all, I just want to say, like, please don't get your nutrition advice from the gym bros. <laughs> yeah. like, if you're a gym bro, it works. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're yeah, good intentions, good well but not always uh, the best source. Um, mm -hmm. And I do find with like tracking your daily calories and weighing out your food every day can also sometimes potentially feed into like those disordered eating habits that. Um, we, I see actually in a lot of athletes and kind of into that like diet culture, diet culture mindset. Um, so I would be really hesitant to just recommend that to everyone. I think you need to make sure that you're going into it very strategically. Because I, I think of tracking like with a food journal um, as like a learning tool, but it's not something that you want it to be some, like that you're doing for the rest of your life. I, I think there needs to be a specific purpose. So I just wanted to kind of start out mentioning that. Um, and also like this whole calories in versus calories out doesn't really work well as well, because I, I see a lot of athletes that are like, oh, I burned X amount of calories during this exercise. Well, a lot of the calculators out there are not super accurate. Um, so that's a problem. And most athletes will also just underestimate their calorie needs because you also need to consider the amount of energy it requires to really recover well from these trainings, that's something I think people forget. That as soon as yeah. they're done working out, it's not like you stop burning calories because now your body's switching into recovery mode and that requires a lot of energy to efficiently, effectively recover. So make sure you're going into it with that mindset as well, that it's not just um, the calories you burn during the workout and the calories that you're consuming during the workout. It's, it's the whole big picture 
as well, like how you're fueling throughout the week, what your training volume is over the week and over the weeks, um, and estimating your needs based off of that. So a couple different ways you could do this is you can look at your, you know, training volume activity level for the week or over the weeks, kind of figure out a base like minimum calorie macronutrient needs based off of that and then have you know whatever you're fueling for during your workout as you're just like extras um or you can kind of just calculate it all and just kind of see where you're at in the ballpark something to also think about too though is during like really high volume training like if you're going out for a five six hour bike ride you're probably missing some meals during that day so it's (laughs) (laughs) it's just gonna be a little different because your focus is on fueling the workout really well. Um, and then you just have to focus on the rest of the day being structuring your recovery and supporting that. So it's less about hitting calories and macros like the gym bros are doing. And it's more along the lines of making sure that you're fueling the training really well and then supporting the recovery and not focusing so much on, am I getting the perfect amount of calories to get leaner at that point? You know, I would say yeah. focus on that type of, you know, mindset in the off season and just focus on supporting your training when you're in that high volume training season. Yeah. And to directly answer their question, at least with my own personal experience, I absolutely include the calories that I take in on the bike Mm -hmm. into this calculation. And I take into account how many calories I burn during the ride. And the way that I measure that accurately is with the power meter. However, I always know that there's a bit more than that, particularly if I'm like trying to hold an arrow position if I'm mountain biking or if I'm doing something where I'm doing a whole lot of other movement and work, that's not just power to through the pedals. Um, I'm probably burning more calories than I think with that. So that's, um, this is a, a tricky thing to like, you know, sort of going back, you know, if I consider all that, then hopefully I'm taking in enough cal- carbohydrates to at least offset it slightly. I'm not going to yeah. finish in the, you know, I'm not going to end up finishing out of the red every time after a ride, I'm going to be in the red. Uh, to give you an example of that, if I'm riding at 250 Watts for an hour, that's 900 calories that I've burned during that ride. Roughly. Uh, if I'm and that's going to be for, for me, that's like every workout that I'm do that I do is going to be 250 and above probably. Um, unless it's an endurance day, uh, or something else, then it's going to be lower, but every interval day is going to be above that. So that's pretty tricky to keep up on 900 calories. That's a whole lot of grams of carbs, you know, we're like, (laughs) so, and I can't do that much. Uh, it just simply wouldn't be the case. You brought up the thing of missing meals. That's so, that's so important because a lot of the time we look at the ride when we're done and we're like, wow, what a big day. I just did 4,500 KJs. That's like a huge amount. Um, and yeah, I'm starving. Uh, I took in somewhere around, you know, 1700 calories just in carbs on the bike. So if I run that math, I've still got a lot of room. Uh, I need to eat something, but then you forget the fact that you also didn't eat breakfast and you didn't eat lunch. And so then you're set behind an additional like 1800 calories, perhaps depending on certain athletes. Mm -hmm. In addition to that, so then the temptation becomes to just like, oh, then seven, seven extra large pizzas, like bring them on and like, let's, you know, let's go <laughs> mm-hmm. and eat as much as you can. But there's also like limits, right? Alex in place in terms of like, if you do that, you're probably going to get sick and it's hard to be yeah. able to like, you can't just stomach that much food. Yeah. So it's, it's really hard on the gut when you do those like massive like binges like that afterwards. Um, so that's where 
you know, you have to, like, it's good to be strategic. You know, if you're getting done, you know, in mid-afternoon and you've, you're starving, like, obviously you're going to have a meal, but make sure that it's got, you know, some good quality carbs in there so you can start reloading glycogen stores. Got some lean protein in there so you can start um, supporting, you know, muscle rebuilding and repairing. And you're hydrating and taking in some electrolytes and prioritizing prioritizing all of that. And then thinking about the rest of your day and evening. So it's like if you're eating, you know, your meal at 3 o'clock, you're not going to be, you know, super hungry for dinner. Or you might be, you know, in like two, three hours. But, um, you know, just focusing on what are the things that I need to include in my meal that are going to help me recover as quickly and efficiently as possible. And then even doing maybe like a protein shake at bedtime, you know, to kind of support that um, recovery overnight, because chances are, you're probably going to be getting back on the bike the next day. So you're not only trying to recover, but you're also trying to prep for tomorrow's workout too. So that's where we tend to see the best results with our athletes. Um, seeing those performance gains is when we start prioritizing and really maximizing recovery. And also it really helps support body composition as well. Like that's where we see people like their FTPs going up and they're like starting to lose some weight and get leaner because we're really dialing in that recovery nutrition. Yeah. Have you found Alex that post big ride like that, even though you feel like I'm starving, you actually can't eat a lot. Like you can't yeah. take down a whole lot of food. Yeah. It's I've, pretty I've common yeah. to have a little bit of a suppressed appetite, um, which is why when athletes go into rest days and they're like so hungry, they're like, well, I'm not working out. So I'm not earning my calories. I'm like, no, no, no. This is your body's opportunity to catch up on that nutrition and really actually fully recover. Like you got to lean into that hunger and make sure you plan out your day to, again, maximize recovery because that's where you're going to go into your next training block being way stronger, feeling great energy levels, seeing, you know, power improve. And like I said, body composition is going to be better too over time. Mm -hmm. I think skipping breakfast is probably the best way to get behind and to oh. put yourself in a hole hey, on this sort of so. thing. And for sure. And it's like, you know, I, I don't advocate for skipping breakfast ever. And when you have those days that are like really long days that you're putting it on the bike, you can't like, even if that means you have to get up really early for a training day, mm -hmm. it's worth it because it makes it so much harder to give your body the nourishment it needs to actually like absorb all the benefits from it. You know, it's, it's, it's effectively like you're taking a bunch of water from a fire hose and you're just spraying it into a small five gallon bucket. And then all the rest spills out and it goes away. Like, you, you know, as an analogy, and if you are dosing your body with all this training and doing all that, but you're not giving it what it needs to be able to contain all that so it can absorb, then you're just missing out. So like you need to nourish yourself beforehand. And if you skip breakfast, that's like the number one way I've found. And my rule with the big days is I eat breakfast two and a half to three hours before, and it's a big breakfast and it's very carb centric and it's simple. Like we've been talking about simple uh, carbohydrates. And then after that, once I get through, I've fueled the training the whole way. And then once I'm done with training, my rule is like a meal after it's not a huge meal. It's a normal meal. And then I have another lunch after that. Right. So like if I finish sometime in the early afternoon, I'm going to have two lunches. I'm going to have dinner. And then after I have dinner, I'm also going to make sure that I'm taking in, like you said, a protein shake. I make like a smoothie afterward. Mm -hmm. Um, and then that's got a lot of stuff because I know that even then 
in the evening, my body is still reeling and working extra hard. And if I can give it a little bit of help as it goes into sleep, it's going to do a whole lot better. And the next day I'll be faster as a result from it. But I think it's tricky going back to the core part of this question. I think it's really tricky to say, oh, I'm not going to measure what I do on the bike. Um, and to like kind of ignore that yeah. and to separate it. Yeah. I don't like it's, ignoring it's, it. I think it's still important yeah. to consider, but I can see where it throws people off because mm-hmm. it is a, a very large amount of carbs. And when, you know, you, I'm going to just assume that 320 grams of a carb, like, I don't know where that recommendation came from, but it's probably not enough. Um, yeah. for an, <laughs> it's like 80 grams of carbs. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, just not, it's just not most enough. athletes is probably not going to be enough. Yeah. Like this athlete with a FTP of 260 Watts, um, you know, if they're riding down low, they're still burning 820 grams of carbs. So they're still, or, uh, calories, sorry, uh, 820 calories per ride. If they're riding something that's going to be like, uh, endurance and above. So whoa, like, you know, that's already, you're putting yourself in a spot where that 300, you might not be, uh, it'll be tough still. So yeah. With where yeah. Going. I mean, with a lot of, uh, I've got an athlete that's doing Ironman Maryland and she did a seven, eight hour bike ride over the weekend. And she was like, Oh, you know, uh, I've kind of just learned to just on those days, I don't even look at my carb targets. She goes, I'm just I'm just out there to fuel as best I can and get through that ride and recover well. And I'm like, yep, like it's just all about any calories, a good calorie at that point during the day when you're out there on a bike for eight hours. I mean, that's a long day. It is. Yeah, absolutely. And I just did some bad math there, you know, uh, for carbs, if you're taking in every one gram of carb equals four calories, roughly uh, in terms of what you're getting in and energy. So in that case, yeah, you could fuel uh, with that. You could quote zero out if you're doing something that's like, you know, um, 200 Watts or somewhere around there, you could have no issue with it. But at the same time, uh, sounds like in this case that this person wants to raise their FTP even higher. Um, cause they say their goal, I'm really trying hard to get into a local pro team. So I take my training very seriously and I want to maximize everything. So is it necessary to track what you eat or can you just eat or can you get to that level just by quote eating healthy? I, I, I personally, like, I don't know a single pro that's successful that has a mission to eat healthy. Like instead their mission is to nourish their work, nourish their body to be able to and fuel the work. Um, and I think that eating healthy is typically tied into like, uh, narratives around constriction, restriction and everything else. I fully agree. Whenever I see that eating healthy, I'm like, not, I mean, yes, we want to eat healthy foods that are rich in nutrients, but, for endurance athletes, we need to think a little differently than that because I think a lot of people just think of restriction when they think of eating healthy, and that's not what we want, especially if you're trying to get yeah. on a pro team. Yeah, uh, honestly, if you're if you're an athlete that wants to get onto a pro team, uh, we had a podcast with Ben Jacques Main that I would recommend going back and listening to. Uh, ben and then Jacques is J A C Q U E S, um, so you can find that there. If you look that up. Ben talks about how he was a pro cyclist and he was going through this process of trying to eat healthy and eventually, uh, led to forms of like disordered eating. And then he got to a point in his career where he was just like, I want to fuel my work and I'm going to just eat a ton and I'm going to train a ton and, uh, we're going to see how it goes and had the best performances, best numbers, best, everything, the best consistency, the least amount of illness. Like it was, that's when it all changed for him. So 
Um, and that's what I see across the board from successful athletes is they, they fuel themselves and they fuel efficiently and that's how they're able to achieve success. So I, I would, I would aim for not focusing or not obsessing about diving down the details. Um, if you have right now an FTP of 260 Watts, uh, roughly at around 125 pounds or 57 kilograms. Uh, and in this case, you've indicated that you're a male, uh, you have a smaller build, but even then with that smaller build, uh, you'll need to raise that power high. Like, uh, to be a cyclist, it's a pro cyclist. You you've got to be above 300 Watts for sure uh, with your FTP, because you're just going to have days where that field's running super fast through the flats and it's just going to require a certain amount of, of Watts, you know, and crosswind sections and everything else. So it has to be up there. So I would not worry about your weight. I would instead just focus on your power and driving your power up. And probably a lot of us need to hear that. Like, and it's kind of funny how when you just nourish yourself and you focus on raising your power, that the weight tends to take care mm -hmm. of itself and your yeah. body just kind of finds an equilibrium. Right, Alex? Yeah, that's what we tend to see. And it is the best because it really does shift that mindset for, for them where they're like, oh yeah, I just got to fuel better and more and my body's going to react accordingly. Yeah. Fantastic. Alex, this is a short one. Um, I appreciate yeah. you joining us again, especially seeing how close you are to delivery. <laughs> if people want to get in touch with you uh, and they want to see what's going on, learn more about Alex Larson Nutrition, maybe even sign up uh, for, your, for your stuff. We appreciate you dedicating the time for this all the time. Uh, how can they do it? Uh, yeah. So um, even while I go on maternity leave here, I have two other fantastic dietitians on my team who will be working with our new athletes that come on. So um, at alexlarsonnutrition.com, you go to nutrition services, there's an application there. Um, so even while I'm on leave, we can still get you all the information um, and get you onboarded. Um, but once I come back to then usually those applications come in, we have a call uh, with me and then I get you set up in the program. Cool. That'll work great. Um, well, good luck with that. Thank I'm super you. excited to see the little one come along. I know. Um, we we don't know what it is. So that'll be the big surprise, the big reveal. I have two yeah, boys. So, have, so I'm like, in my head, I'm I like, it's got to be, it's got to be another boy because yeah, that's all I know. But it'll be very surprising yeah. if it's a girl. Nerves of steel. I could never do that. Um, uh, so uh, send Alex your well wishes down in the comments on YouTube. Uh, share this podcast with your friends. If you're listening right now, that would be hugely helpful. And rate the podcast on Spotify in particular. Uh, like and subscribe to our YouTube channel and go sign up for Trainer Road. It's going to be an exciting six months for us uh, over the next six months. That's all I'm going to say. So stay mm -hmm. tuned for that. And we'll talk to you all later. Thanks a bunch.